Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. TDN Fantasy. The TDN Fantasy, Fantasy Podcast. With your host, Paige Demakos, Jamie Eisner, and Jake Arians. Welcome in to the TDN Fantasy Podcast. Paige Demakos, Jake Arians, Jamie Eisner. And it started off as a good day today. We got we got some good stuff going on. It's officially opening day. It's very delayed. It's July 23rd, but better late than never. So for all the sports fans out there, I know, I assume that you feel like we do, that it just feels good to have sports that matter in America happening again. And baseball is... America's pastime. It feels good that it's back. We're going to be able to watch it. I've been watching more fake baseball exhibition games than I care to admit out loud. So I'm very excited for opening night, opening day. And Jamie is a big Yankees fan. So Jamie's excited for today, right? Absolutely. It's been a long time, it feels like, since that Garrett Cole signing to finally see him on the mound in a real a real live baseball game. So, and the weather cleared up because the weather was brutal last night in DC. Uh, so it looks like it's going to be a really good night of baseball. And then uh, the, the Dodgers and the Dodgers get to beat the Giants by 10 in, in the nightcap as well. So that's nice. <laughs> it's uh, it's good to have sports back. Uh, we've got some, some positive things moving in the right direction in college football. And we've got people reporting to facilities, including a very, very, very important person reporting to a facility. Jake, that person is Mr. Tom Brady. And I want you to tell the story that you told us because I think it's hilarious that the goat was being questioned. And I, this is, this is very good. This is good stuff. Yeah. So I wake up with my new puppy this morning and we're walking around, I'm checking Twitter. (laughs) I see that Tom Brady reports to the complex and he drives up in a nice black Ford Raptor and the gates don't open. The seas don't part. The, the gates stay closed and the security dude walks out and asks him for his ID. <laughs> and I'm just dying. He's like, he looks at him like he's crazy. And then Brady being Brady's like, yeah, sure. Hands it off. Then he goes and parks and they're kind of showing this like through the gates or whatever. And you can see him laughing, but the security guys like came over and they're like, <laughs> Oh my God, we might've messed this up a little bit, but apparently that there's like this little old dude at the front who I, I've met a couple of times. He's, he's awesome. But he like, he doesn't care. Like he's going to stop you. But you'd think they would like have music playing, the marching band, the cheerleaders, and the the gates would part like the Red Sea. And Tom drives his Raptor up in there. But no, no, they they stop him and ask him for his ID. It's uh, it's Fort Knox in Tampa. They're making sure that everything is very, uh, very, very secure. Uh, and Tom, I'm quite sure that everybody's uh, going to let you in much easier now going forward. But very exciting to see uh, superstars reporting to NFL facilities. We've got rookies. We've got a ton of rookies signing deals. That's happened. That's been a flood of those deals coming in over the last 48 hours. But one thing that has happened in news uh, related to coaching that we wanted to discuss here at the top is Mike Zimmer getting an extension. And I think collectively this group is, is pretty high on Mike Zimmer as a head coach. We like Zimmer a lot. But considering what the expectations were after that Super Bowl, r- trying almost getting there with Case Keenum, then they bring in Kirk Cousins, and they haven't been able to to take the top of the division the bears won two years ago packers won last year the expectation was they're going to bring in kirk cousins and they're going to win they're going to win the division and and that hasn't happened and they won a big playoff game last year but that was it 
And so this was kind of one that we had circled, semi-circled as like, depending on how this goes, this could be a coach that's on the hot seat. So Jake, talk about him getting the extension and how obviously that means there must be a lot of faith in, in what's going to happen here long-term. I think they like their direction. They love the guy at the top. Uh, Spielman's not going anywhere. We heard Zim may be on the hot seat. This squashes that. They like the direction they're going. They were a little bit of salary cap held that they, they did a decent job of getting out of. They lost a bunch of guys on that defense. But I think one of this, one of the reasons this points to Zim staying is he's a defensive genius. All of those years in the AFC North, uh, it was great to see you know, him and my dad, all those battles and some of those old coaches. Dad got a job. Zim got a job. Fangio got a job. Some of those guys were long-term assistants that really never got a shot. It's, I, I think it's awesome that, that he gets an extension. We're all pro Zim on this show. I mean, he, he does it the right way classy professional and just damn good at what he does. I think having Gary Kubiak there uh, grooming another play caller is going to be phenomenal, but I, I think they like their direction that they're going and they want to keep things stable. Yeah. And look, he's won 60% of his games since he's been there. Uh, he says one losing season. I was seven to nine his first year there, three double digit win seasons. And, you know, I know the, the knock will be, you know, two and three in the postseason, and that they haven't, you know, gotten to that, you know, they were haven't gotten to that Super Bowl yet, but there's this weird thing that kind of happens with NFL coaches when you're really good but not elite for a long period of time where your fan base starts to turn on you and they kind of forget what it's like to not have good coaching. So they start to get spoiled. Excuse me. Right? Sorry. Uh, but it, it happens where we've seen it where it's not quite the same thing and there's a lot of other circumstances that go with it. But there, I call it you know, the Schottenheimer effect. Mm-hmm. Of there's a point where, and I get the sense of, hey, we need to get over the hump, and ultimately we're not playing to have winning seasons, we're playing to win Super Bowls. I, I get that. But there's also the sense of you can make a mistake that next year and then go 8-8, eight and eight, which is what happened with the Chargers. So uh, to me, this is a case where Zimmer's been, he's been a great coach since he's been there, was one of the top off, uh, defensive assistants for a long time in Cincinnati, was always, was always linked to a lot of head coaching jobs. He's done everything. And look, he's taken Kirk Cousins and Case Keenum to NFC Championship games. I mean, that's, I mean, those, those are good. Those are, Case Keenum is a solid quarterback, but he's not one of the 30 best quarterbacks in football. Kirk Cousins is a good quarterback, not one of the 15 or 10 best quarterbacks in football. He is, so to be able to take a team around that, build a team around those players, which he has over the last six years, and get to that point and continue to build the defense and build through some of the struggles that defense had at times, particularly last year in the secondary it's been an incredible job. You're not going to find somebody that's going to do better with that. They still need to get over the hump. They still need to be a team that has to contend for multiple playoff wins again, but you're not going to find a better coach on the market. And I'm glad that they locked him up. That was about to be my point, Jamie was like, I think management ownership went, we fire him. What the hell do we do? Who, Who are we going to get? Like you're not doing better than that. And you go back to, yeah, we all want to win championships. Winning 60% of your, your regular season games. And getting there every year, getting in the dance, I think most places are pretty happy with that. You look at it, it as a great point, Sammy. I think you look at it and go, who the hell are we replacing him with? That, that's risky. It's in the division. I talked to I have many friends that grew up in the Michigan area. And you talk to them about how they, as a fan base, started to become spoiled with Jim Caldwell and Stafford for the three-year stretch that they were there. And they went nine and seven, nine and seven back-to-back seasons, but finished behind the Packers. And that wasn't good enough. Well, guess what? Matt Patricia hasn't gotten you to eight and eight, let alone winning nine games, let alone getting into the postseason like Jim Caldwell was doing. And so the grass, 
as the saying goes, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. You're not always going to find somebody who's going to come in and be a better option. And I think this is a, a vote of confidence for, hey, we know what we have and we trust that Zimmer can get this done eventually in, this, in, in, in a time window, hopefully soon for them. And I think there's a little bit of a nuance here that I think needs to be appreciated when you don't look at this in a vacuum and you kind of step back a little bit. To have this success when you've consistently had only the third best quarterback in the division is pretty incredible. I mean, I understand it's more than just a one-player team. I'm not saying that. But you have a bona fide, no doubt, Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers in the division. When healthy, Matthew Stafford has put up extremely strong numbers. You've at best had the third best quarterback in the division throughout this run and are still averaging almost 10 wins a season. That's pretty incredible. Can you name another team that's done that in the last four or five years? The third best quarterback in the division and is averaging 10 wins a season. It just, it doesn't happen. It really doesn't. No. And not every franchise is the same either, Jamie. So, I mean, like Fran Tarkington has been a while, dude. Like he ain't coming out or, you know, he ain't coming around the corner to come quarterback for you again. It's not like you're winning Super Bowls all the time. You're not the Packers. You're not the Cowboys expectations, the Niners expectations, the Steelers. You ought to be pretty damn happy with that 60% a clip. I mean, that's, that's impressive. Yeah, I think any NFL organization not named uh, probably the New England Patriots should be happy with 60%. I mean, it's, 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 really, it's really damn hard to win in the league, and it's really damn hard to win in the league consistently with the amount of turnover and everything that happens. And, Jamie, that's a great point about being the third. I mean, he's the third, but they have the third best quarterback by a long shot. Aaron Rodgers and Matthew Stafford are significantly better than the than Kirk Cousins or Case Keenum. So I think that's a really, really good point that you brought up. And it, it's just something interesting to pay attention to. The yeah, last I mean, thing – oh, go ahead, at, Let's say, even look at last year. I'm looking – how many playoff teams made the playoffs with the third best quarterback in the division? San Francisco? Yeah. Maybe. But that's debatable Maybe. where you put Jimmy Garoppolo there. Yeah. Um, you know, depending on what, what your feelings about golf and Kyler Murray are. I mean, obviously he's behind Wilson. Uh, but, I mean, who else – I mean, who else was able to do it? It just it, – it didn't happen. You can, you can make a case San Francisco did with the fourth-best quarterback in the division. But, yeah. Yeah, that's – but no, but that, but that's, I mean, that's impressive. I mean, I'm just talking about – I'm just making the playoffs. I'm not even talking about 10 wins. I mean – And I think, I think that's when you're talking about management, management ownership going, we like this direction. We are competitive as hell. We have the third-best quarterback in the division. Our defense is good no matter who's out there. He coaches them up. We want to run the ball. We want to play action off of that. We're going to be competitive. We got to stay healthy and make a run. I think that's got all points to they love the leadership they're getting and the direction that they're going. Yeah. It's they, listen, they're, they're competing. That's what matters. Being there, being in the dance, having a, having a shot. It's a lot better than most organizations can say in the NFL. Last thing before we get into our tight end list, want to talk about uh, the Washington football team. So we are not. Yeah, we are, we are going to have uh, the team that has no name for the reference to Game of Thrones fans uh, that will happen all year long. Um, they're going to take their time here. I think the biggest thing, and I'll go to you first, Jake, is that they probably don't ha- didn't have time to make this quick transition to them retiring the Redskins name to then turn around, make the decision, make it final, get – social media channels and legal stuff. I mean, there's a lot that has to be done when you're talking about getting the name that people don't really think about as far as the logoing and, and everything. Cause the NFL owns 
all of that property. I mean, it's, it's a lot of touch points. So I envision that that has a lot to do with why they are not moving forward with a new name until they can get all their ducks in a row there. Not to mention they're dealing with some other shit. It's not like <laughs> yeah. you're just hiring the greatest team of graphic designers out of all time and getting everything copyrighted and branded and everything else that goes along with it. Their PR team is working on something else other than the logo right now. Uh, so yeah, look, the uniforms we saw were sick, like, but numbers on the side of the helmet, I, I think it's pretty cool. It's going to be really weird just saying Washington because I start thinking like the Huskies and the Pacific Northwest, not mm -hmm. DC. Yeah. Um, but look, I mean, they're, they're not going to be very good anyway. They're not going to get a ton of coverage. Um, I think we all think they're going to be fun to watch, but mm -hmm. it's fine. Take your time and let me look to do new uniforms and new logos. And when you change the stickers on the side of a helmet, takes an entire off season to be able to launch it in April and then be able to put new stuff together by September when you roll it out. So, I mean, it takes a while. It's not something you can do in a couple weeks anyway. And yeah, that, that's the still point. I was going to say, and hopefully, Jamie, they take their time and then release something as epic as the Seattle Kraken hockey team because it's so – if you want to see a lesson in branding 101, just go on Twitter and look at the logo breakdown of all the, the small intricacies – that exists within that logo that if you're a brand nut like Robert Juden from our team, who, if you want to ever understand every aspect that went into the TDN logo, it's 32 degrees for 32 NFL teams and three laces for, I mean, it's, there is a lot of detail there. And I think Jamie, you can give Washington that time now to kind of get it right. Yeah, look, there's no need to rush it. NFL teams don't change their uniforms often, so you don't want to throw out a bad product and then have to figure it out. Um, so we'll see. And look, quite frankly, they, given all the things we have learned and given their past history, I don't think they should have the luxury of having a celebratory jersey release right now. I think they need to get their house in order and figure out how to uh, handle the systemic problems that are happening inside their front office that have been happening for a while. It's not the first time we've heard of this. Go, go look up, up the cheerleader scandal from a couple years ago. Like this is not new information. So uh, let them get that fixed and figured out and figure out how they're going to move for, move into the 21st century as an organization and as people. Uh, and then they can figure out after they go five and 11, what they want to do for their, their Jersey combinations next year and team name and all the other stuff, because they think team name has to play at least, some level into the jerseys i mean mm -hmm. you're gonna have your logos on at the very minimum if even if you're not going to change your color scheme so uh there's no need to rush it and like i said they don't they don't deserve to have any sort of celebratory oh look at us thing right now they they need to keep quiet and fix their problems that's a yeah. great point jamie you're looking at focus groups are we changing the colors are we do like there's a lot that goes into this it's not a couple week thing that you could flip this around uh it'll be really interesting to see what they end up coming up with and if snyder owns the team by the end of the season I mean, this yeah. could be an L.A. Clippers kind of thing here where he's like, hey, they, he's forced to finally do something, sell it, and somebody new comes in and says, I mean, how cool would it be if it's a minority-owned group? It comes in, so. completely blows Just, up the logo, yep, and everything goes something really – that would be awesome. Yeah. But I, there, there's a chance. He doesn't even own the team by the time the focus groups come up with whatever logos and names they're talking about. Yeah. Um, I'm glad it was you guys that spoke because I have uh, – held back on becoming emotional on this podcast about everything that happened with Washington, but getting your house in order is the biggest thing that needs to happen. And Jamie said it best. You don't deserve the happiness right now. Like you don't deserve to have this fun logo reveal. No, that's, that is a fun thing that happens when you have everything in order. And quite frankly, you don't. So 
get your, get your house in order, as you guys said. And whether Dan Snyder owns the team, I will hope for a new owner. That's about what I have to say on that. I will, I'll leave it with this with them. It sucks for Ron Rivera. It's a that loves his wife and his daughter and his family and treats everybody that I, I've ever seen with respect. Never heard a bad thing about Ron Rivera. To be dealing with this crap, to step into this, for the second I'm sure time. he wants to just go for the football. second time. Yeah, he did with this with Jerry Richardson. Exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, it's, uh, he's equipped for it, but it's, it's it shouldn't be his burden to carry. But I, I, there's probably no better person to be in that True. spot right now. True. It's probably it's, not. He just wants to go coach football. I'm sure at this point, but that sucks for him to have to deal with again. It does. It does. But I will say, as somebody who, because he's heavily involved in the Gridiron Greats Foundation that my mom is so involved in, I've spent probably in the last 10 years, I see him every Super Bowl. I see him, I, Jordan Rodrigue, a good friend of both Jamie and I, she, she covered the Carolina Panthers for a long time. He was the biggest proponent and advocate for her for a really, really long time, uh, especially when she had that incident with Cam Newton. Um, Ron was there to, to defend how well she knows the game. Um, Ron is so equipped for this because he's just a – classy he's a good man he's a good husband father has i mean he just he knows how to handle this and he was one of the people that spoke at the women's symposium and it was very much like afterwards you're you're wanting to walk up to him and talk to him because he talks the talk and walks the walk like he said does exactly what he says he's gonna do he's a classy guy and as far as it goes Dan Snyder doesn't deserve him like he doesn't like I, I hope that I hope that Ron gets gets to have something better and that he you know in this situation he gets to just coach football because he deserves that but he will take this on and be a good leader and 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 make sure that football team and what he can control is done well so I think it's it'll be it'll be nice to see somebody that has a lot of class be be in a position to make make a difference okay guys Top 15 tight ends. We got Tyron Matthews' uh, little information on tight ends. If you haven't listened to that interview, I know we've all glowed about Tyron on, on different occasions, but it truly is one of my, in my whole career, one of my favorite interviews that I've done because we got to see his face the whole time because we were doing it on a Zoom call and him talking about his daughter and then leadership and social justice and some of the just bigger, more in-depth that you rarely have an opportunity to get an hour with an athlete completely unprohibited from any distractions. Um, it was amazing. So it was a really, really good interview. So if you haven't listened to that, I hope you go back. And he had his opinions on tight ends, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. he gave us why Travis Kelsey is so great. But then also, I was a little surprised. I thought he was going to go in a different direction with the other tight end that was um, hardest to cover. But we'll get into those guys because they're, they're both in the, in the top five here. Jamie, this is your list I'm going off of. So number 15, you have TJ Hawkinson, one of the guys a lot of people were excited about coming out last year. What makes him a guy that you like coming into this season? So it's interesting because he was the he was the all hype guy last year. Remember we talked on the show ad nauseum about you know just temper your expectations with rookie tight ends. They they take a while to transition into the league, and, and that's what happened. He had a huge first game against Arizona because everybody scores a good jillion points at the tight end position against Arizona, but kind of came back down to earth from there. 
Uh, I'm buying back in somewhat uh, at its ADP, which is right now tied in 14. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, I think at this point in a, you know, a normal 12 team uh, PPR league where you're only playing one tight end, you know, he's a good fallback option. If you're going with other positions, you don't want to take a big tight end early. Maybe you kind of, there's other running backs receivers you like in the middle rounds. You kind of sit back and you find yourself like, Oh, well, all my top 12 guys are gone. So who, who am I going to go with? Um, I like his potential upside. I want to see what he could do with a full season with Matthew Stafford versus a half season and, and a half season of your first half season in the NFL. Um, I'm excited to see what he can do. There are a lot of mouths to feed in Detroit though. So I, I don't think he's going to be a, you know, 90 or a hundred target guy, but I think he's going to have a big role in that offense. He's going to have some significant, uh, he has significant talent. We talked about him uh, going back to the draft. So I like him. Uh, I think he's worthy of that ADP, but I don't know if there's the upside that people think there was last year, but I don't think people are still thinking in that way anymore. I think that everybody kind of comes back down to earth um, sometimes too much after rookie hype, when a guy disappoints after a rookie season, to be fair, he didn't really disappoint. He just had unreasonable expectations attached to him by the fantasy community. Uh, but I like him. I like him where he is right there. I think he's, you know, can be a 50 ish catch guy. That's going to be probably somebody that's more of a weekly matchup play than somebody you just plug and play for 16 or I guess 15 weeks. But that's kind of where I am on him. Yeah. I got him 14, 15, same kind of thing. I love his quarterback. And he had all that hype, and he went out and lit up the Cardinals. And then we realized by week six, every tight end lights up the Cardinals. And it kind of backed up off of that. And that's, I think that's where the disappointment kind of felt like because he jumped out with all the hype and just lit it up, and then it kind of backed off. But you got to love him with Stafford. But they want to run it more. Their defense is going to suck. They're going to throw it. He's going to be a part of it. I, I, like, I like him right where he is. I can't, I, don't, I can't put him any higher than that, though. All right, guys, we got used to a tight end in Dallas for a long time, retired for a year, came back for a year, and now we got a different guy. Uh, we got Blake Jarwin in, in Dallas. A lot of mouths to feed there too, though, Jamie. So what are your thoughts on him and his overall? Because we know what, what that connection could, could be for Dak long-term. What's your, what's your thought here and going into this season? He, he's, one of my, he's my big sleeper pick at the position. Uh, he's going right now as the tight end twenty. And as you mentioned, I have him at 14. I like the opportunity that he has. There's risk because we haven't seen him in this role. But with Dak Prescott, Jason Witten was averaging more than 88 targets a season. I don't need him to get 88 targets, but if he's around 78, 79, 80, uh, this is a very valuable role. There's With Randall Cobb not being in the offense anymore, there's role for CeeDee Lamb to have a big role and continue to have the tight end have a big role. They're going to throw the ball a ton. That's what, they, that's what Kellen Moore showed last year. Uh, they're going to continue to do that this year. Uh, and I, I'm excited to see what he can bring. I, this to me is you have to go, if you take a look at my projections, you have to, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm not quite as confident because we don't have years of data to tell us what he's going to do, but we know how good that role is and we know how good that situation can be. So I'm willing to take a chance on him, especially at his tight end 20 ADP. Uh, if I fall late and say, you know what, let me see what I have here because if he's even 90%, even gets like 90% of the looks Jason Witten got, he's going to be a borderline tight end one. That's my question. That's why I don't have him any higher than this. I got him about the same spot. Uh, I don't think he has the nuance of the position that Jason Witten had with Jason Witten's age, but he was still getting open. But he has a much bigger upside that it's not going to be a bunch of eight-yard catches, right? Jason Witten wasn't going to go do a whole lot down the field anymore. He still had some little sneaky stuff. And when you have that many mouths to feed, you ain't double covering a tight end that hasn't broke out yet. So I love the upside, but I don't know that he has the nuance to get enough targets on those third and four and he goes and gets six yards, right? I think that's where a lot of Witten's targets came from. Yeah. Uh, I think they go somewhere else in that situation, but I think his upside is bigger, more big plays. 
Jamie, the next guy on the list is in that camp of having potential quarterback change, right? And I think, I think with the way that things are happening with camp, it, is, it should be brought up that a lot of the quarterback controversy might not happen as much because there's not going to be as many practices. So people that feel comfortable, right? Rookies, like in this case, Tua, isn't going to have spent so much time at the facility ahead of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And Mike Giusecki and Ryan Fitzpatrick already have a chemistry. So how much did you factor in the Tua, Ryan Fitzpatrick that we've talked about with wide receivers when evaluating Jacecki. Luckily for me, I've always, and we've talked about this on the show, I've always been on the Tua's not playing before Thanksgiving at the earliest train. Um, I know that hype train at different points in the offseason has gone out of control where we were some, you know, former NFL players saying, oh, no, Tua's going to start week one. Like, no, he's not going to start week one. And he's definitely not starting week one now, given this extremely abridged offseason that we still don't know how abridged it's going to be yet. Uh, so I, 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 like I have for the other Dolphins, I've kind of did a 12-4 split to try to be, you know, I have to account for the fact that I still think they're going to try to get to into a game at some point this season. And I think that's probably valuable for him going into what will actually end up being his first full off season in the NFL of how weird things are working this year. But, uh, you know, I wanted to have uh, Yuseki a little bit higher, but the, the middle class of tight ends is a little bit deeper this year than it's been in years past. And uh, I like him there. I'm perfectly fine with him. If you, you start with him as your tight end one, if, if you wait a little bit, uh, you know, Jake's talked about how the things that they've done with him in Miami, you know, putting him out in the slot, being a big guy that they've used in that role. Uh, so I, I'm excited about what he can do this year. This is kind of what I think his peak is. I think it's low end tight end one. Some weeks in matchups, he's going to be a top, you know, he can be a number five, number six overall uh, in certain weeks. But I think the upside of the guys above him, I like a little bit more, but very solid. I think he's got a pretty high floor as long as it's Patrick's the quarterback. I like what Brian Flores said. Dante or uh, Devontae Parker's a number one. They paid him like a number one. They made him a, a player, right? He said, Jacecki's going to play in the slot. If he is, he started getting some chemistry with Fitzpatrick down the stretch last year. If he's playing in the slot as a shifty big guy, he's going to be a nightmare to cover. I think the targets could be there. I got him at 11 on my board. Uh, I, like Jamie said, I mean, the guys above him, it's, it, you can't really put him above that. But it's definitely a guy to watch because I don't know that he's going to go that highly drafted. And I'd watch week one a lot like it would kind of like – I saw Chark last year, and I picked him up right after week one, and he was great the rest of the year. I can see Jacecki almost being a receiver with a tight end designation. Yeah, and actually, uh, later this, uh, this offseason, so it's going to be – I don't know exactly what day it's, but it's going to be in August. I'm actually going to release an article on the draftnetwork.com of players that are going undrafted or very late in drafts that you need to have on waiver wire speed dial that we've talked about. Because sometimes there's players we, do, we don't have a chance to go delve, delve into, but you go – I'm really intrigued by them. The second I see he gets X number of targets or X number of catches or X number of runs, I, I want a piece of that. And, it's, and to be honest, it's usually it's going to be wide receivers and tight ends in this category. I mean, you kind of know what you're getting at the running back spot unless there's an injury. But there, there are players like that. And that I'm going to actually have a full article of like, just kind of keep these guys, like you only need to see it in week one before I pounce versus some guys are like, eh, I'm going to sit back and wait. I don't, I don't, I don't think this is real. There's going to be a handful of guys that you want to want to look at. Uh, and right now, to Jake's point about his ADP, you know, going as the tight end 15, I think that's a, that's a very low-risk option for Mike Jusecki right now. Yeah, and to your point, Jamie, you don't need to see a lot of catches and targets in week one. All you need to see is how many snaps he plays in the slot. Yep. And it's going to translate to more tight end, more targets than most tight ends are going to be able to get, get. Guys, the next guy on the list, I'm so used to seeing in the top one, two, three, and it's just obviously Gronkowski, who took, who took a year off, coming back to play with Tom, coming back to play in Tampa Bay. 
But coming back to play in an offense where there are two other top-tier tight ends that are on the roster, there are arguably, and I know I've seen the internet arguing about this, but I don't think it's arguably, it's the best wide receiving core in football that exists in Tampa Bay. And on top of that, there's just, there's a whole lot of mouths to feed here, Jamie. So I assume that when you looked at Gronk, you go, okay, the talent is still there. He looks like he's in great shape. You know, the chemistry's there with Tom Brady, but this isn't, New England. This isn't, they don't have, Gronk doesn't need to be a feature because they got a whole lot of other guys who are, who are fantastic options for Brady to go to. And so that's why when you look at him at 12, I'm going, God, it's weird to see his name there. I'll preface this by saying that there's very, very, very little difference between eight and 12 on this list. They are all very close. And this is going to be kind of personal preference for Gronk. I was basically trying to figure out, Hey, I mean, he wasn't the number one tight end in the league fantasy Gronk he was uh, when we saw him last. And he's not going to be that this year. There are a lot of mouths to feed in Tampa Bay, but he's going to have a big role. Tom Brady trusts him. He's, he's again, who the hell do you double on that team? You can't. I mean, you can't, I mean, I guess, I guess you, you could pick somebody, but so, so you can double Mike Evans. So you're going to leave Chris Godwin and, and Rob Gronkowski and all those other guys open. Like I just, it's a team that's going to be extremely tough to cover. And I think it's a team because of that, that there are multiple players each week that are going to have big weeks that where sometimes you go, yeah, you know, they got two guys, but like, they're going to take this player away and they're going to make like Calvin Ridley beat us this week. And you kind of know that, or they're going to make this player beat us. So they're going to do the bracket. They're going to put their number two corner in their safety on the top receiver and then put their top shutdown corner. In the number two. Like you can't really do that because Tampa Bay has too many pass catching options, but um, I think there are going to be some weeks where he has big weeks. There will be some weeks where he has two or three points. I think you're going to have to be able to ride the wave. And I know you have to do that a little bit with any of the, the low-end, tight-end ones anyway. I think that might be a little bit more pronounced because Gronkowski's peaks could be matchup winning peaks for you on certain weeks. But I also think there are going to be times where he maybe only gets five or six looks and you're just going to be like, damn, I wish, you know. You know. So don't draft on the name value. Draft on – what you expect him to get. And to be fair, he's going right around tight end nine or tight end 10. And at that spot, you think you'll be happy with that. If you're taking him as like a top five or top six tight end, which does happen in some leagues because of name value, then you'll be disappointed. But otherwise you should be fine at his current ADP. I got him at seven and I'm going to preface. I, I've got, but I got it front loaded. Okay. okay. And there's a couple of reasons why one, I think he's going to have a big touchdown year. I don't know that it's going to be some of these other guys. We're talking about targets and that kind of stuff, but I think he's going to have a lot of touchdowns, but he's going to be front loaded. I think his September, could get you off to a 4-0 start alone. To me, that says I want, to, I want a piece of it because there's no preseason. He had Nobody on that team has chemistry with Tom Brady like Gronk. By all accounts, he's moving better than he's moved in four or five years. He's a little bit lighter, leaner, feels phenomenal, felt better than he has in probably five years. But the relationship with Tom Brady in September with no preseason games and a very limited offseason makes me love him early on. Because if Tom's going to read the defense, I think Jamie just said it perfectly. Who are you going to double? I mean, he's still going to t- – if he sees Gronk singled up or if they put Gronk in motion, split him out, what, all that stuff that they can do, and I think they'll do a lot of that in the red zone. I still think he's going to be a monster red zone target. Uh, I think it could be front-loaded. It might bite you in the ass later because it may be not when, when they've played eight or nine games. But I, I think the first four, five, six could be phenomenal for that reason. 
Well, and his ADP, Jamie said, what, nine or 10 right now? So yeah, you should be able league. to get him. If you've got him at seven, Jake, and you can draft him at 10, you like the value, right? Absolutely. You're, you're, you're Absolutely. looking at that. Well, they, and they, like the ADP is right between Jamie and I. I mean, I probably yeah. have him a little high, but I just, I, I'm front loading that, and I think it will be a good big t- uh, touchdown year. I don't know that the catches and yards and all that stuff, but I think he could be pushing eight to 10 touchdowns. Yeah, that chemistry, right? They get down to the red zone, and Tom's just going to be looking for his guy, right? There's a trust factor that's there, especially considering. Look, when you're at the eight, nine yard line, he ain't got to run far. No. Who's covering him at that point? You throw yeah, it up. Luck. He's still an absolute freak when it comes down to that with phenomenal hands who's going to come down with the ball. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm excited. With Gronkowski it. and Cam Brate on the field and on a goal to go. it's i'm so excited to watch football oh man okay all right number 11 on this list on a new team this year a guy that had um a a lot of people always were looking for him to break out uh especially because of the offense that he was in gets traded this offseason to the cleveland browns and that is austin hooper jamie when you look at this offense right we talked a lot about what we what 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 we would like to see right? What we want to see from Cleveland and Baker and, and everybody else. But what type of what type of evaluation do you have of Austin Hooper coming into this, knowing that you, we saw up and down with Baker, obviously a big disappointment. We expect a semi-bounce back with this team, but new quarterback, new offense, a bridged offseason, all this stuff, it, it plays a factor when you're looking at a player like Austin Hooper. It does. And still the biggest factor to me is the way I continue to, and I've been pretty sure on the show and because it's the basis of what, how I've made all of my Browns projections is the type of offense they're going to run. And I think you're going to see a very, a very Minnesota like offense because you can argue that at points they actually have more pieces to work with in that role than Minnesota has Um, from just a pure talent standpoint, maybe not at the tight end position. I like Hooper, but like they don't have their, if Njoku's not there, then their number two isn't quite as good, but you start to look at the way that they've built that offense in Minnesota and where they had so much success and where they kind of made the transition that allowed Stefanski to become the offensive coordinator for the final three games, what was that, in 2018 uh, and then into 2019. They're going to run the ball, and they're going to run the ball a lot. And they have two of the best running backs and most talented running backs in football to do it. And they're going to be, they're going to be in heavy sets. They've improved that offensive line, and they're going to run the ball. And I think that's going to be extremely effective for them, and it's going to be their key to making the playoffs – that being said, I'm not sure Baker gets to 500 pass attempts. And if he doesn't, that's going to depress the value of all the pass catchers. The positive for Austin Hooper is Baker Mayfield loves throwing touchdowns to tight ends. Absolutely freaking loves to throw touchdowns to tight ends. He has a stupid high percentage of his touchdown passes in the NFL, the tight end position. So I, I still think Austin Hooper can be you know, a seven-ish tight, uh, touchdown guy this year. But I also don't think he's going to be a 70 or 80 catch guy. I don't think he's going to get that many looks. So I kind of have him down here. Like I said, there's not a huge difference between 8 and 12 in terms of my projections. But uh, that's my thing is you're going to have some big weeks when he scores. Um, and reality is to be a, a top eight tight end on a given week, you just have to score a touchdown. I mean, that, that's kind of been the formula for the last three or four years or so. Um, but I think once you see back at the end of the year, he's going to be a tight end one, but – I don't think he's going to be a, a top half of the position guys. I, I don't think they're going to have enough looks like somebody has, if they, if they only throw this hap, same argument that happens with that when I have with Seattle, if you're only going to throw the ball in Seattle's case last year it was 516 times, you can't have three, four, five pass catchers eat. It just doesn't work that way. There aren't enough targets to go around. And I think that's, what's going to happen here. If Baker Mayfield's in that like 480, 490 pass attempt range, I, I think I have what I have Austin Hooper projected for about 74 targets, which is fine but that's not going to be enough to get you a top six tight end. 
I look at Cleveland's salary cap, and there's no way in hell they're moving in Joku before the season starts. They might before the trade deadline if somebody wants to blow their socks off. But when I look at it, then Austin Hooper's the better tight end right now, but he's not the more talented tight end right now. If they do want to run that Minnesota offense, they're going to be both out there a lot. I think that cuts into Hooper big time. I got him at 12. I don't think he – and I think there's going to be a slower start to his season, uh, kind of the opposite of Gronk. I can see him finishing really strong, but I, I don't see him having a very good September into the middle of October. All right, guys. The next guy on the list, I, as I was prepping for the show today, I always look at some of the players that I, that I think have been around, and it reminds me of the Allen Robinson thing where I think this player is so much older than he is because I feel like he's been in the league forever – Hunter Henry's 25 years old. Like, I looked at that, and I was like, that cannot be right. I feel like I've been drafting him in fantasy for five – like, I'm like, there's no way he's he's had 25 injuries since he came in the league. And it's, it's, that's the thing. But the talent is there, man. Like, when he is healthy and he is playing, he is so good, and he is so young. I looked at that, and I went, no way is he 25. But he is, and you have him – 10 here, Jamie, and I'm not even going to get into the injury stuff. Jake already talked about it. So what are you looking at with Hunter Henry this year? Uh, it's, it has, but I have to get into it. Cause that's the, that's the yeah. factor. It's, it's injuries. Um, it's injuries and it's not having, uh, Philip Rivers there. I think both of those are key factors because as we know, Philip Rivers has developed pretty decent chemistry with some tight ends you might've heard of, uh, in the past, some, some, some guy that might be going to the hall of fame or somewhere. I don't know, but it, look, the fact is I don't trust the health and even my 13 game projection seems optimistic for him. Uh, I think on a per game basis that he plays, he's going to be hanging around the top 10 tight ends. But he's also, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be hanging around the top five. And I think that is where, and we'll get him to him in a second, that is the difference between a Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram. When Evan Ingram plays and he's on the field, he has top five tight end weekly upside every single time he plays. You just have to figure out how much you trust him to actually be out there. I think Hunter Henry, uh, excuse me, I think, uh, yeah, Hunter Henry has, there's a, there's a lot of H's coming up with now, Hooper Henry and Hurst. Uh, in, in Hunter Henry's case, I think he's going to be a top 10 tight end when he plays but not to that same level. And I think at some point when you add him in, you add in a replacement level tight end for three games, this is kind of where he's going to fit in for me. I don't think there's this massive upside here. I'd maybe have him a couple spots higher if Phillip Rivers was still there uh, because I, I want to see what I, what I get from the combination of Tyrod Taylor and, and maybe Justin Herbert at some point in the season. But uh, I, I, even to me, like his right now he's going tight end seven and ADP. Just, he's not a player I, I want. Like I just, I don't, it's just not something we have any shares of of my team. I just don't trust the health. We now have a lot more question marks about who's throwing him the ball and how they're going to use him. I just, to me, I don't see the same upside here. If I'm going to take a chance on an injury-prone tight end, it's going to be Evan Ingram. Well said. I mean, he's a tight end one, but he's the bottom end of tight end one. He's more talented than that, but the situation and the health just doesn't warrant it. Yep. It's, it's tough to, it's tough to look at that because it's, man, that Chargers injury bug, they got it. I swear there's something, something with that team. They, they got to figure it out. It's, it's always looking at it and evaluating the talent. And then by the end of the season, we're just looking at a depleted roster uh, every single year. The next guy on the list, another, there were a couple of trades here with tight ends um, that we've, that we've discussed. And this is another one. Uh, Hayden Hurst going from Baltimore to Atlanta. Obviously we already talked about that. Austin Hooper was, was on his way out. Uh, so Hayden Hurst in a Matt Ryan offense that likes to pass. We saw the upside with Austin Hooper, Jamie. What do you think can happen here with Hayden Hurst that a lot of people liked in Baltimore, but now in a more pass-happy offense with Matt Ryan? I'm optimistic. I think he can put up the numbers that, similar to what Austin Hooper was putting up. That role in the, in the Atlanta offense has been significant, and it's going to continue to be, especially since – 
whoever's going to be that number three receiver, which I expect to be Russell Gage, is going to be a lot more unproven than Muhammad Sanu has been over the years. And I, I think so that the third, the true third option on that team, especially, and again, Devontae Freeman's not there anymore. And while Gurley can pass catch, the true, like the third option you're going to of guys that are going to catch the ball, it's Hayden Hurst now on a team that's going to throw the ball 600 times a year. And I think that role is huge. I, I have him getting in the mid 80s in targets. I think I'm really excited about his season. We have to see him do it himself. And we have to see him do it now where he's away from Baltimore, away from the, 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 the glut of tight ends that they put there. But this role has been extremely valuable. He's going to get every opportunity. He's extremely talented. Uh, I think he can do everything Austin Hooper has been able to do in that offense the last couple of years. I think he's a better player than Austin Hooper. He's a better player than Mark Andrews. He's high, he was drafted ahead of Mark Andrews. He was the number one tight end coming out that year. I've loved him coming out of South Carolina. Does everything. Blocks a hell of a lot better than Hooper does. Uh, but he's an injury guy. And my biggest thing here is I, lo- I love, I'm extremely optimistic on the potential but I'm extremely cautious on the injury bug. So I've got him closer to like 15, but it's a guy that I would love to have on my team as like a second guy, or you picked up off the waiver wire, something like that. I mean, I don't, I don't know that you're going to get him there, but he's going to be a forgotten guy. I think in a lot of leagues, especially a lot of 12 man leagues that you could sneak up and say you wanted to risk it with Gronk. And that starts to fade. I, I think, I think he's going to have a ton of targets if he's on the field. Another pass-happy offense in that same division. Uh, you're talking about New Orleans and Jared Cook here, Jamie. What do you like about him in an offense that I feel like every single year since Jimmy Graham left, left New Orleans, I always see somebody in the fantasy community trying to, trying to give Jared Cook the vote of confidence that he can be Jimmy Graham and what that was in the offense, even though that was a very long time ago. He was down the stretch last year. He then was. That's the key. He, he was, I mean, he was a monster for them down the stretch. He was a huge red zone threat. And really, I mean, uh, Trevor Sycamore wrote a really good article for the draftnetwork.com about, you know, the changes and, and how he just emerged in that offense late in the season. You know, with, with Jared Cook, I think you have to understand what you're getting. You, you have a legitimate chance of getting a double-digit double touchdown season from him. But you also are more likely than not, not getting 50 plus receptions. So you have to understand the boomer bust nature. You are basically playing um, touchdown or bust with Jared Cook each week. And the weeks that he has big weeks, he again, can be a matchup winner. We talked about this with Gronk. Um, you know, like for me right now, I have him projected eight touchdowns and 45 catches. Uh, and, and I think that's kind of somewhere around that range. So he's not somebody that's going to have a high floor for you. And I think you have to understand that when you build your team, you have to understand that you know, if, if you take him there, you're either going to say, I'm going to play him every week and just figure it out, knowing that, you know, some weeks it's going to be huge, some weeks it's not going to be huge. Uh, obviously, it's not a concern if you're in a best ball league, for example. Um, but if you're in a PPR league in particular, and even a standard league, it's not as, as, as pronounced, but in any sort of PPR league, it's going to be noticeable when he, you know, when the guys around him are getting, you know, 60 catches, 61 catches, 59 catches, and he's down in the up, mid to upper 40s, it's going to make a difference, but he's going to also win you some matchups. Yeah, I think to that point, Emmanuel Sanders scares me a little bit when we're talking about Cook because I think he's going to be that second target option. Uh, I've, I've said all offseason I think teams are going to defend the Saints a little bit differently, and I'm a little bit worried about Drew Brees' arm strength that he showed down the stretch. Now, he was lighting it up with Cook at the same time that he was looking like he had diminished arm strength, uh, but I think the addition of Ma- Emmanuel Sanders and a healthy Alvin Kamara, 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 then, then he's going to take those seam shots that he was taking to Cook down the stretch. So that scares me a little bit. But I like where you have him. I mean, it's a guy that I would – well, very well the, – the Gronk comparison is very good. And the, 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 the low floor is very good. I mean, I, I think your, your highs are going to be high. 
but I think you could get blanked a couple times. So it'd be great to have a guy like I think Hayden Hurst, we just talked about has a very high floor. If he's on the, on the field, I don't know that his ceiling is as high as either one of those guys week to week, but they would be great combinations to have. I think on a team where you have a high floor guy and a high peak guy, and you just got to figure out which one you want to play that week. The next guy on the list, Jamie, I see you have him down for 12 games. Right. So this is another guy that has always had the talent, a lot of excitement around him, but always with the injury bug. And that is Evan Ingram in New York. They have had they have had bad luck with their receivers and tight ends and running backs over the last few years with a couple of injuries. And Evan Ingram, we know the talent is there, man, but he never he's he's not playing 16 games. And I see you have him uh, accounting for 12 here. So fun fact. How many games do you think Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley have been all on the field together in in their careers? I'm going to guess zero. Same time. I'm going to go with one. Zero. This has been – so there's an element to this of we don't know what the full capacity of the New York Giants offense looks like with all of the pieces operating at the same time. Now, Golden Tate was suspended for the first four games last year. Slayton was a rookie. Um, you know, Ingram has his injury issues. So, I mean, there, there are extenuating circumstances and there've been times with four of the five have been on the field, but it'll be very interesting to see. But one thing that we have noticed is that when Evan Ingram's on the field, he gets looks and is incredibly productive. He was with Eli Manning. He was with Daniel Jones. And I think he will continue to be on a, as I mentioned earlier, on a per game basis, I think he could be top. He's for me, he's a top six tight end on a per game basis. You just have to understand that you're going to get four or five, hopefully maybe not that many, maybe only two or three games where you're going to have to replace him. So, but you have to consider what replacement value is. So when I kind of took his ranking, went, well, if I get 12 games of Evan Ingram and four games of Jack Doyle or Johnu Smith or somebody or, or that player, like, you know what? That's still going to be a pretty damn good player. So I'm willing to still take him this high because I think he's on a weekly basis that he's going to finish a, very often in the top five when he's on the, when he's on the field. It's just, you're just not going to have him for the full season. You just have to know that. Yeah, I got him at five because the upside is, is so good. And here's what I do know. I know Joe Judge wants to run the ball. And I know if all those guys are out there healthy, and Sterling Shepard's hurt all the time too, I think it's more beneficial that Evan Ingram plays more receiver, Jacecki-like tight end that we were talking about than he was in Pat Shermer's offense playing tight end. He's not big enough. He's a small guy that coming out of Ole Miss, ran 4-3, and that's why he went in the first round. He's a matchup nightmare because of that. But you can't have him on the line of scrimmage with his hand in the dirt blocking when you want to run the ball this much. If they want to put him in and put him in motion and play almost an H-back slash slot guy, and he plays less plays than he's been playing, he stays healthier, I think that upside's there every, every week. Because while Slayton had a big big rookie year, you still don't know. Sterling Shepard's okay. When he's healthy, he's okay. Golden Tate's going to be – I think he's going to have a monster year. But the biggest matchup mismatch is Evan Ingram. So I, I, still, I still got him at five. I still think the upside is there. But he has to – you almost have to play him like I just described for him to stay healthy enough for you to do that. And you better have somebody else on your team. That's pretty solid. All right. We're pretty, we're pretty close to the top five here. And I do want to mention, obviously Jake's rankings have been a little bit different than Jamie's. So I, you'll be able to see all of them. If you haven't been looking, make sure you're going and checking out what the rankings look like. They're going to get updated, all that good stuff. But we're, we're approaching here top five in tight ends. And number six, the last guy before we get into that is Tyler Higby, Jamie. So for the LA Rams, we know what Goff can do and we know what this offense can look like, but we also 
know what it can't look like. And it, it's been really good or really bad. And you're, uh, what, what factor did you look at this year going in with the changes that have been made and the offensive line and, and the fact that this is coming off of a disappointing year for the LA Rams? It's hard to have a better end of the season than Tyler Higby had in those final four weeks. He basically ripped the job away from Gerald Everett. But I'm a little nervous still here with this. And it's, look, you'll see if you sign up for TDN Premium and on the Eisner board, you'll see what my exact projections are for him. This is, this is where it worked out. And I looked at, you know, the history of Jared Goff, the tight ends, the history of Higby with Goff, but which, by the way, started before last year. I mean, he, Higby just didn't, you know, manifest four games later uh, for the final four games of the season. I mean, he's been around for a little bit. It's dealt with injury history. The, the, my concern here is... I still feel like, and even I'm falling in this trap, that we're still waiting a four-game sample size too much. That's my only concern. And, and we're not going to talk about him on today's show because he's not a top 15 tight end. But if you're looking for like a off-the-wall, just dart throw, I think somebody that's not even being drafted right now could be a starter for me. I would take a shot in a deep league on Gerald Everett because I'm not, con- I'm not fully convinced that all of a sudden that what we saw in the final month of the season is exactly to a T what we're going to see this season. I want to see how this plays out. But if we do see something, well, and you're not going to see to the level of four games over 16 games anyway, but if we see something similar, uh, we've seen that Higby does have high upside, that Goff is going to look his way, that he could be a guy that, you know, especially now where they're going to run more two tight end sets. You don't have, you don't have a, established number three there, although I do like Josh Reynolds and Van Jefferson, I think at some point, maybe not this year, will be an interesting option for them. He's going to be the the third pass catching option. He's going to be on the field all of the time because of the sets that they run and they're going to throw the ball a lot. So all of that says I can't have him below this spot because I think he truly has top five tight end upside. But I would also say that I, if I'm, I have a little bit more reservations for him than any of the other players we're about to talk about. And each one of the other players, aside from maybe the top two guys, have their own warts that you have to kind of work through. You start to split hairs more and more as you get closer to the top. But if there's anybody right now that's in the top 10 that I feel like could finish possibly outside of the top 20 that we've talked about, I think Higby's pretty high on that list only because if the situation changes a little bit, all these high projections that even I have go out the window. Here's what I saw. Brandon Cooks went out. And Gerald Everett, they can move around. He played a lot of receiver. They were trying to figure out if they wanted to go big with him or if they wanted to go fast with Reynolds. And Higby was on the field the whole time, and he was the beneficiary of them trying to figure that out. Now I've given McVay an entire offseason, and I know their love affair with Gerald Everett. Uh, they want to use him, and they know they can use him split out. So that scares the hell out of me. I've got him down at eight on my board for that reason. But that four-game sample size, you can't ignore. The talent is there. The relationship with the quarterback is there. I'm not sure the relationship with the head coach, the way he wants to scheme it up is going to be there. I think Gerald Everett's going to be more the beneficiary of that because Brandon Cooks is no longer on the team. And you talked about the two potentials, the three is Van Jefferson and Reynolds. But I think Gerald Everett has the, the coaching staffs still enamored with the potential of what they can do with that. And they've now had an offseason to figure that out. So that, that alone scares me a little bit. All right, top five, number five on the list, a guy that we all root for, great story. Uh, if you don't know it, you should look into to Darren Waller. Great, great story of coming back and, and being involved in the league and now being a top tight end in the NFL for the Las Vegas Raiders. I got to keep saying that out loud so it starts to feel normal because uh, it still doesn't feel normal to say. Uh, but excited for, for Vegas to, to have the team. Unfortunate that it's not going to look like 
what we hoped it would look like this year, but um, it's still exciting nonetheless for the Vegas market to have an NFL team and, and Jamie, they get a top tier player here at tight end. Yeah. And I don't think we're getting another 90 catch season from him, especially with the, with Williams coming back healthy, uh, the addition of Henry Ruggs. Uh, so I, I, there'll be a little bit more options for Derek Carr to work with this year. Um, particularly if there has been some link um, and, and it depends. And there's been some studies that have been done. I think it's Mike Tagliere over at Fantasy Pros has done this, where there is some link between tight end targets and running back targets, more so than tight end targets and receiver targets. So if they decide they want to get Josh Jacobs a little bit more involved in the passing game, it might come at the expense of a few targets from Darren Waller. But again, we're starting to nitpick here. I still think he's going to push 100 targets this year. Uh, I don't think he's going to be a you know a 90 catch guy, but I think he could push a thousand yards. I don't think he's going to be a huge touchdown guy again. I mean, he only had three last year. I think he'll be at three or four again this year. Um, some of that was unlucky, but I also think that some of that positive regression is going to be knocked down by some of the other options that they have there now. Uh, so again, to me, he's he's the ADP five. Um, he's like the consensus number five tight end across the board. Like, I mean, no, I, I, in terms of ADP, like everybody is taking him. There's no variation among websites. Um, it, you know, it's weird because I, I think, um, you know, to me, there's, this kind of, there's not exactly a tier break here because I, I end up putting three, four and five in the same tier, but I hate that tier just because it's three incredibly different players that have a different motivations and different upsides, but you'll, you'll be happy what you get with Darren Waller. And this is probably the line where I would say, if you're going, if you have decided, you said, you know what? I am taking a top tight end. This is where the line ends because I think afterward, everybody else here, you can make different arguments for and are actually very similar in their projections. I think this is the last player that I think has a real shot aside from Evan Ingram, if he plays 16 games, which I don't think he's likely, but he's the last player on here that I think has an outside shot at a 200 point season. Yeah, look, I, I, I think he gets it. I think the addition of rugs going deep, I think his touchdown numbers go up. You throw Williams out there healthy, he can go deep. You know Ruggs is going to go deep. I've talked about him running a drag route. Well, you know what you can run off the outside of that? A corner back to the backside. Either whether he goes deep and takes coverage with him and then you run a little, little post corner, or Ruggs comes on a drag route, you pump it, and he runs a corner the other way, and the safety's already taken off after Ruggs, so he knows he has to get a head start to get there. I think he's the beneficiary of a lot of that. Having more weapons, I think, helps him. He was a beast last year, and they had nothing. They had Jacobs running it, and they were throwing it to Waller at one point, and he was still putting up numbers. Uh, I, now, you got to back that off because I know the targets are going to be there. But I think the touchdowns can go up. I think he's got a 1,000-yard guy. And right now, until Ruggs proves he's that, he's still the best weapon they have to throw the ball. All right, guys. The, these next four guys, I think I was very interested to see the way that, Jamie, you had them all ranked here, right? So – the guy that you have coming in at four, Lamar Jackson's love affair with Mark Andrews and, and that that will continue into this, this season, right? And obviously Hayden Hurst now gone. So they had about it. They, they were like the Bears. They had a lot of tight ends. Now the Bears have taken over that love affair of having a million tight ends on their team. Uh, what, is your, what is your outlook on Mark Andrews? Because I'm looking at where you have everybody ranked. And this is the one that is – a is kind of the drop-off with the other three as far as your point projections. Yeah, and he's, he's number three uh, in ADP on most sites. Here, here's the thing I'm trying to, to reconcile with Mark Andrews because the, the argument for taking him third is that look at what he did while only playing 41.4% of the Ravens offensive snaps last year, which is a legitimate argument. So I took that and said, okay, well, how, mu how much more do we think he's going to play? And I looked at how much more that he played last year 
after they moved away from Max Williams. And he kind of moved up a rung on the tight end depth chart. And he got about 10.4% more snaps. So I said, okay, well, what, what happens if that happens again this year? And we also add in that I'm, I've assumed across the board that everybody's playing 16 games in terms of because uh, barring injury, because of the new wild card formats, it's going to be a lot tougher for teams to, to sit out week 17 when only one team is going for a bye. There's going to be less teams that are sitting guys out like Baltimore did last year. That's another fact that we have to throw into the equation as well, like, we're, like with Lamar Jackson's projections and everything else. So I, I put all that together, and that's how I got to the projection I got to, which still put him uh, as a tight end four with a little bit of distance between him and the top three guys. Uh, and I think this is pretty optimistic. I mean, I have him at 115 targets this year, which I think is an optimistic total. I have him over, slightly over 1,000 yards. I think this is what's most likely to happen. And I think those projecting massive, massive jumps this year, I, just, I don't think it's going to happen. He, he, there is a reason why he doesn't play half of the team snaps. You know, he, he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not an all-around tight end in the traditional sense. He doesn't do the things Nick Boyle does, which is why Nick Boyle almost never leaves the field. So he's still going to be incredibly productive. He's still going to be, there is no great pass catching option in Baltimore aside from him right now. I would like to see how Hollywood Brown does in year two, especially coming in healthy, but this is the scenario that we're in. And I think I'm, I'm pretty optimistic with my projection even, and even that gets him to four. I'm just not buying this massive, massive addition. Now that people think he's going to play twice as many snaps as he did last year. It's just not going to happen. I got him at four as well. There's no way in hell he's cracking my top three. I know what those guys are giving me, and this kind of scares me. He's not playing that many more snaps because he's a pass-receiving tight end, period. Exactly what I just described the Giants using Evan Ingram as, that's how they use Mark Andrews. If the Giants use Ingram that way, you're going to see this kind of production because I think he's healthier. I don't think Andrews – Andrews is bigger than Ingram, but I don't think he holds up if, they, if they're having him block like Boyle does. That's why he's out there everyone because they're going to run it. That's still their number one option. He can't go out there in a two tight end set and just start road grading people. That, that is not his game. They put him in there for pass catching get, you know, as an option, and it makes it look like it's a two tight end set, but it's really not. I, I, I see the, the 10% increase, and that's it. So I've got him at four. I, I still think there's a ton of upside. He's still the number two target when they're going to throw it. Uh, but they're going to have to get more creative on what they're doing. They can't use the same stuff they put on film from last year. And I don't think what they're going to do is have him go out and be more of a well-rounded tight end because I don't think he can do it. Guys, the next guy on this list, uh, Tyron Matthews said this is the guy, other than Travis Kelsey, the toughest guy to guard as far as a tight end and cover from a defensive perspective, and that is Zach Ertz, right? And we collectively are, are higher on, I think, Carson Wentz than a lot of people and, and this offense, and there's a lot of questions about the Eagles and, and everything. And I think a lot of those questions are really unwarranted because – they're basing things off of last year where we still saw Carson once be a superstar and there was nobody out there with him. And I think there's, it's a weird, Philly's a weird market, man. And they, they really, I just, I will continue to not understand that, but Zach Ertz is your number three guy here, Jamie. Um, it's tough when you're looking at these three guys, cause they're all so talented you're, you're, you're splitting hairs. The top guy, I think, to me is definitive, but the, the next two guys, I think you can look at arguments for one way or the other. Yeah, look, it, where I had to kind of differentiate here with Ertz is I, I feel like the, the hates – it's not to say somebody hates when he's going tight end four, but uh, I think his quote-unquote fantasy struggles last year have been way overblown. As somebody that had Zach Ertz on his fantasy team, I could tell you that 
Um, although he didn't exceed expectations early in the season, he really came on late. And it came on late when there were literally nobody else to go to, and he was still getting open. He still got in the end zone uh, a bunch of times. Uh, he's still going to get a ton of targets. He's going to be probably the most targeted player in that offense. And, and, and again, I, I, just, I, don't, I don't know what people don't like. I, I know there's this narrative now that's going around that, oh, you know, Goddard's going to steal his job, and you know, he's not as good as he was, and this all the BS that's been going around. He was incredibly productive last year. I expect him to be incredibly productive again this year. Um, I expect him to put up better numbers this year than he did last year. Maybe not quite to what he did two years ago, but kind of somewhere in the middle. Uh, with Carson Wentz being healthy, uh, with now some level of protection around him, with it's not the best other pass catching option is, is not Greg Ward, with all due respect. Um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a good season for him. And I'm, I'm a little surprised to see people kind of all, like backing off of Zach Ertz as, as in this like big top three. I'm, I'm a little surprised to see it. No, I'm jumping all in. He's number three on my list. Look, he has an elite quarterback. He has chemistry with that elite quarterback. He has more weapons now. At a, they might have the fastest receiving core in the league. And they have multiple options that if Alshon Jeffrey pulls his normal, he gets hurt, Deshaun Jackson, whatever. They got guys that can take the top off. All that does is open the middle up for Zach Ertz. His target share is not going down. If Carson Wentz is going to force it to somebody, who's he forcing it to? The most sure-handed guy on the team, the best option they have as a pass catcher on the team is still Zach Ertz, period. And if Carson Wentz is healthy, that alone, that chemistry alone puts him at number three. I, I, there's no way Mark Andrews touches him to me if, if Carson Wentz is healthy. And now that they have these other guys, I think it does nothing but help him. I think everybody's talking about, okay, Goddard's going to split. They do a, to, a ton of two tight end sets. I mean, that, that's not going to change. The offense coordinator is not any different. They just have more, more receivers to put out there, which I think helps. Top two guys are two phenomenal tight ends. And there's a lot of argument uh, between who's better. Uh, they're both phenomenal. They both do so Not much. Not in a football sense. Yeah, it's only I, in fantasy. Is the only way you can only, argue. It. Only yeah, in, in fantasy, there's a ton of argument about these two guys all the time, all the time, and and the value that they bring to their team. So, number two for Jamie is George Kittle for San Francisco. Uh, Mr. Kittle has shown that he is. I just, I enjoy watching him so much. Uh, I can't say, like, I, wa I went to San Francisco last year for a game when they played Green Bay, and one, it was thoroughly enjoyable because they kicked Green Bay's ass, and it was unbelievable to watch live. But two, I was close enough that I could see Kittle and how big he is and how he moves and how fast he is. And I don't think he gets a, a lot of credit for that all the time. So, Jamie, we know who's number one, but let's talk about number two, George Kittle. Just absolutely amazing. And to me, these two are still in, as much as I love Zach Ertz, these two are still in the tier of their own here because of their potential upside, because of their roles in the offense. George Kittle is the heart and soul of San Francisco's offense. And everything that they do and everything that he's able to do, he is the engine that makes it work. Uh, and he's just, there, there are not enough superlatives to talk about how good he's been. Um, he's going to have even more pressure on him early in the season, depending on how long Debo Samuel is out and missing time, because now you have, you know, you have rookie, you have a rookie wide receiver on one side. You've got unproven, a, a litany of unproven options on the other. Um, you don't really have those pieces. You may or may not have Raheem Mostert in the backfield. Who knows at this point? So it's going to rely on him. And there's a chemistry there between him and Jimmy Garoppolo. I looked at pretty much every single game that these two have played together to get to, you know, how I got to these projections. Uh, I expect a, just a, another monster season from him. Uh, I think he's going to be – 100 catch guy. I think he's going to lead all tight ends in, in receiving yards. Um, he doesn't catch as many touchdowns as Kelsey, which is going to end up being the determining factor of why he's, he falls just short of him in fantasy totals for me. But 
elite option. And these, these guys are going to go back to back in a lot of drafts because someone's going to see Kelsey or Kittle go. And I imagine it's not going to be too many picks before the other option is off the board. I think Kelsey's ahead of him in fantasy circles, but he's not even close. And we're talking about on the field, real football tight end. Name me who's a better run after the catch tight end than Kittle. I'll wait because you're not going to say one. Now, name me another dude in the top 12 we're talking about that has like 40 pancakes. And I mean, road grading pancakes. He is the, one of the best all-around tight ends we've seen in a long, long time. We've seen the Tony Gonzalez pass catchers of the world that turned into decent blockers and well-rounded guys. We haven't seen a dude that literally is a road grading animal as a blocker that has phenomenal hands, runs great routes, he's fast, and his run after the catch is insane. Like when Travis, when Tyron said Zach Ertz, and he, had, he was describing the wiggle, and Ty used that, that word with a couple guys, and he used it with Kelsey, wiggle. I don't know if it's just because he can stay with Kittle more, but it's just so damn strong. I, I got him at two because of the quarterbacks that they play with. And, yes, he has yeah. chemistry with Garoppolo, but he ain't freaking Patrick Mahomes. So I got Kelsey one because of that. And I think Kelsey's really more of just a receiver in that offense. He's on the line of scrimmage, but they throw it more. Kyle Shanahan wants to run it more, but he's going he's gonna to feature Kittle. He's still the number one guy there. But – I think we're talking fantasy. Kelsey's got to go number one and Kittle's one a, but it ain't even close in real football. No, I total, total agreement. I, I think I enjoy watching George Kittle block as much as I enjoy watching George Kittle catch passes and pancake people as he's running and demolishing humans as he runs for a touchdown. I, I mean, like his celebrations after he pancakes somebody more than his touchdowns. Cause yeah. he just gets, WWE, woo, freaking Ric yeah, Flair fired up it. when he just trucks somebody. It, and you can't help but get hype watching that. No, he's he's he is the definition of everything you would want as a tight end. He can do every aspect of it, does it very, very well. And, man, when he's on the line and he blocks somebody, it's – he must have learned something in Iowa, man. They're they're pretty good at those. They're pretty good with those with with teaching their guys on the line, and they're pretty good with uh. They're a tight end factory at this point with the guys that they are putting into the NFL over the last couple of years. All right, we've talked about him. We know who it is. It's Travis Kelsey. Uh, from a fantasy perspective, there's not much to say other than we know exactly what he's going to do year in year out. And oh, by the way, he has Patrick Mahomes as his quarterback, Jamie. Yes, he does. And I took a look at every single game that Mahomes started and ended healthy and played with Travis Kelsey in their careers. And here are the per-game averages for those guys. 6.3 catches, 82.6 yards, 0.5 touchdowns. So over a full season, they're averaging 101 catches, 1,322 yards, and 7.7 touchdowns. Oh, I mean, that's just, it's unbelievable. Can't argue you, you can just, you can bank on it, bank on a hundred, bank on around a hundred catches, bank on 1200 plus yards, bank on seven, eight touchdowns. You know what you're going to get. It, it's safe. Um, Kelsey's had success with non Mahomes quarterbacks too. Uh, he was, he uh-huh. did okay when Mahomes was out with you last year, did damn good with Alex Smith before that. So even if you're somehow worried that Mahomes might miss a game or two, it's, I would still not t- take him out of my top spot. Um, truly the premier fantasy tight end. Uh, that's not exactly breaking news, but uh, as George Kittle continues to be, to, to add like highlight real plays and be just such an amazing player on the field, I think he gets pushed up in fantasy rankings because of it. He should be the number two, but nobody's touching Kelsey right now in, in PPR leagues of fantasy. No, I mean, the only thing that scares me is he's got a little bit of a history of concussions. He's on the field a ton. He'll get back out there. He's tough as nails, but 
He's had at least two, I know, in the last couple of years. So if he gets one, you, you might miss a few weeks. But if he's out there and you, he's usually is 95% of the time, you just said the numbers. I mean, you, and he's playing with freaking Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's – I mean – We're going to throw it 50 times a game. Yeah, and and he's he's in that offense. They're going to throw the ball a ton. He's got Mahomes, and I think George Kittle, as much as we all just gloat about him, he is Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, with all due respect to Jimmy Garoppolo, you're not in the same hemisphere as Patrick Mahomes, and your offense is not doing what that offense is doing, and you're not asked to do the same things. It's just completely different. So I, I, I agree with Jamie. After all the glowing that I did about George Kittle, though, I still go back to you got to you got to be able to separate fantasy versus what they're asked to do on the real life football field because they're different things and and just because you're watching tons of highlight reels of George Kittle pancake people that trust me I am watching too that has no bearing or impact on his fantasy value so well, just you got to look how you mind. defend them yes. I mean you can double you're going to stack the box to stop the run you're going to double Kittle until Debo Samuel comes back and somebody else proves themselves that's how they're going to defend them period yeah you can't do that with Kelsey. The reason Kelsey has so many targets, so many big plays, because they're doubling Tyreek Hill. Yep. Now, you talk about Kansas City's great receiving core. It's only great because Kelsey's the number two option, Tyreek Hill, and he's really the number one option. Tyreek has a lot less targets and a lot less catches than Kelsey does. Um, but you're not, you can't just double him because now you've got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. You've got other options there. Nicole Hardman's coming on as a receiver. There's guys flying open. So you could, that alone separates them before we're talking about this season just yeah. by the way you're going to defend them. Yeah, it's, it's important to mention those things and talk about how that's going to impact everything as we're breaking down the little intricacies that separate one and two, right? And, and how, what you can rely on and, and all that being said. All, as much as I love them, neither one of them will be on my roster because they'll get drafted way earlier than I want. Right. It's like I, I, every year I would look at where Gronkowski would go and where Travis Kelsey would go. And I go, yeah, no way. I want, no, I want none of that. Where is their ADP er, right Ert's now? Good. Ert's good. Ert's good. But these two, no good. way for me. Yeah, no, no way. Uh, right now they're going between picks 23 and 26 mm -hmm. usually. That's not that. Okay. Um, somebody's going to reach. I would take them. In the, there's a spot in the third round. I take them. Like if they're in the third yeah, round, yes. depending on where I am. Um, like I said, I think this, if, if you're picking in the top two, and your league doesn't go crazy, you know, maybe it doesn't go crazy with quarterbacks or tight ends. You're in a really interesting spot. If you have McCaffrey or Saquon and you come back and you know, okay, I'm going to grab another good running back. And then do I take a shot at Mahomes? Do I take a shot at Lamar? Do I take a shot at Kelsey? You know, that's one of those spots where if you get, if you're really happy with your running back situation, you go McCaffrey and then another really good running back falls to you and you go, you know what? I like the depth at receiver. I'm going to take a shot here. That's where you take the shot. I think if you do yeah, it in yep. the second round, you might, you might return that value, but you give yourself no upside. And I think the opportunity cost of missing out on those backs is going to be something you're going to regret by the end of the year. I just doubt yeah, that yeah. they're going to, I doubt they're going to get there, man. I doubt they're going to be there when we get to Not the those third two. round. No, I can see Andrews jumping up on a ton of people's boards and you getting, you getting hurts in the middle yeah. to the late third round. I got him in the third round in the TDN league last year. As I went, uh, went Chubb. I had the 14th pick. I went Chubb went Dalvin Cook 15, and then I went my next pick was Ertz was still sitting there yeah. at the end of the third round of 14-team league, and I was like, I'm not passing that up. The receiver was not as deep last year as I went this Adams year. And like, Juju. 
Listen, Two guys that combined to play it like didn't work out very good. 18 oh, games or whatever. Yeah, listen. Uh, at the, this is a good time to tease that we have been talking about it with the premium members inside the, the, the Slack. So, if you're one, if you're not a premium member, uh, one of the more fun features that we have is a premium Slack where the whole TDN staff is constantly engaging. I got to get Jake in there so that way you guys are, are talking to him too. But it's it's super fun. We're talking fantasy. We have a whole separate channel now for that. There's going to be a ton more conversations as we get closer to the season and we have people more drafting more, but we are going to have a TDN fantasy league and it's just going to be this three right here. And then we're going to open it up to fans, right? So I, I, I want to get as many premium members um, that, that will be the requirement. Got to be a TDN premium member. Otherwise there's too many, there's too many people that are in our premium offering that I could offer it out to anybody else. So if you're a TDN premium member, we're going to do some type of trivia, right? I'll probably think of some fun trivia questions and, and, and do some something inside the premium Slack. So if you're a TDN premium member and you haven't joined Slack, make sure you do that. Cause that's how I'm going to do this. Um, to make sure that we get a, a, a full team. We'll probably do 12 teams. Uh, 14 is too much to me. Uh, and I think 12 yeah. is just about right. So you'll get us three. We'll have nine slots open and really looking forward to playing with uh, our TDN premium members this upcoming season. Jake, it's the end of the podcast. We've reached that part. Final thoughts on today's episode. The tight end group is sneaky deep. Yep. You know, last year was really thin at points with injuries and some different stuff. I mean, you could – you could get down like there's some some uses for guys at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 that you might be playing. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, OJ Howard was number four on everybody's board last year. We didn't even mention his name. <laughs> I, I, yeah. not, uh, I mean, all three of those guys could be uh, with Bray. I mean, we didn't talk about Noah Fant. I mean, could I mean, there's there's it's it's sneaky deep this year. You got to be smart. There's always going to be value. Don't go crazy on those first couple guys. Uh, but it's it's better, I think. Uh, definitely looking at it right now than it was last year. And that's kind of what I want to end my point was with Noah Fant, because I know that there might be some that are surprised that he didn't make the cut. Here's what I've, has been very interesting in my research, which is kind of why I am across the board and is still like a to-be-determined range on these Broncos pass catchers. Because the narrative out there, and because Drew Locke and company went 4-1 to end the season, the narrative is that, oh, like the Broncos offense turned it around completely. They, they got some fantasy stars there. But, like, what actually happened was not that. Um, Noah Fant did not put up good numbers with Drew Locke. Outside of his first game, Corlin Sutton put up terrible numbers. Corlin Sutton over the final four – I know this is not a receiver, but I want to bring this up. But, like, Corlin Sutton over the final four weeks of the season was the wide receiver 50. Oof. Oof. I, I mean, so – and was averaging single-digit points a game. Now, he caught Locke's first two career touchdowns in, you know, in, in the fifth week prior, the first game that Locke played. But – all I'm saying is I think we need to temper expectations. I have Fant at 17, but we need to temper expectations of what we expect from all of these Broncos pass catchers because they're going to be a run first team. They brought, we've talked about how they want to operate that offense. We talked about what Melvin Gordon's role in that offense is going to be. And obviously, you know, they brought in two, two wide receivers as rookies this year and Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler. I am saying is that there's this, uh, there's this push to push all of these Broncos pass catchers way up the board. And I'm just very nervous because we didn't see that in a short sample size. Again, I'm not pretending that five games at the end of the season is the be all end all. It's not. But those that are looking at it as if it is need to actually go back and watch those games again and look at what the stats from those games were before they get all excited about pushing all of these Broncos up the board. 
they're not all going to be top-tier guys. Not in a Vic Fangio run offense that's going to run the ball with all those (laughs) – you added Melvin Gordon in the offseason. Like, you added another top-tier running back. Like, they're going to run the football. I'm watching fantasy community go absolutely nuts over all these Broncos pieces, and I'm going – Man, that makes me feel uncomfortable. Uh, But my final thoughts today, not related to football, opening day for baseball and live sports. Mother of God, I cannot wait. I'm just, it's, it's, it's the only thing I've just been waiting for, for this. And I know a lot of people have been watching Premier League, which I have actually really enjoyed. I've now become a Chelsea fan, which has been really fun because I'm cheering for Christian Pulisic. So that's his, that has been fun. But getting guys back at NFL training camp and everything that's, that's been happening has been, has been good and positive. So, guys, how can everybody follow you on social media? Jake, you first. Jake B. Arians on Twitter. Jamie? You can follow me at Jamie Eisner on Twitter, where I'll be tweeting about the Yankees going 1-0 to start the season. <laughs> and you guys can follow me at the underscore sports page with an eye on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow the show at Fantasy underscore. Make sure you check out the Draft Network YouTube channel. We have some video clips up of our recent interview with Tyron Matthew. And be sure to check out all of our written fantasy content on thedraftnetwork.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.